You talk to the real cops, and they say 90% of it is paperwork. Joe Montagna. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as usual, please say hello to our good friend, Mr. AJ Mass. Hello, hello, hello. There'll be no new additions to the cast of this podcast. No, siree, but it is time. I'm excited. Criminal Minds version 2.0 kicks off now. I am so excited as well. Even though this is version 2.0, it's like the fourth different cast picture <laughs> that they've had in there. Oh, Lola, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, this podcast is about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I haven't ever seen any episodes of the show before, except for the ones that I've talked about in previous episodes. But that is the viewpoint that I'm going to give you. And uh, AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode of the show plenty of times. And that's the perspective he'll be bringing. So, AJ, this week, 2.0, as you say, we will look at season three, episode six of Criminal Minds, entitled About Face. This episode was directed by third watcher Skip Suddeth. Sudeth, Sudeth, and written by Charles Murray. And it originally aired, as if you didn't get any clues from the episode itself, on October 31st, 2007. Yes, it was a Halloween episode. Uh, yes, in fact, it's called All Hallows Eve, Mr. Sinsgard. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Mass. Anyway... <laughs> We open on a scenic reservoir area in Virginia where we instantly get our first murder, depending on <laughs> if you consider duck hunting murder. And we see a familiar looking face who is duck hunting with his dog that is apparently named Mudgy. Mudgy. <laughs> the dog is Mudgy. Yes, NFL legend Joe Montana looking a bit older. <laughs> No, Kintad! Huh? No, not Joe Montana. Okay, I keyed. I keyed. It was John Elway! <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was Joe Montana, and we see him get a real quick call from Strauss. He tells her, just cancel it, whatever, I'm coming in. And we get a quick sense of the relationship in that one little five-second snip. Of a phone call. Then we yeah. see him. No, no, that is just like, I'm coming in. Cancel your meetings. Right. <laughs> like, this is not, this is not the, oh, we're afraid of Strauss. Oh, dear. We're afraid of Strauss. I also want to point out, I always thought it was hilarious that, I mean, you've now done three seasons plus worth of these episodes. You went through the entirety of the Gideon era. What is the one thing that we know that Gideon loves more than anything else? 
<laughs> birds, AJ. And the first thing we see Rossi do is shoot and kill a bird. I love it. It's just like, I am not Jason Gideon. Boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, very good point. I didn't even think of that. That's awesome. So uh, we then cut to a quick shot of him putting on his suit, grabbing his gun and his badge, which is a big ID that has like retired <laughs> put in it. Do you need that? No, <laughs> not, say- not only retired, but it was signed by J. Edgar Hoover, which which means we're not we're just saying he's retired. He's old because that badge <laughs> could not have been issued uh, any later than 1972 when Hoover died. So, and that's 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 like. 35 years from this airing so yeah, yeah wow talk uh, about a grizzled veteran yeah he's definitely a grizzled veteran on the scene um we also see him pick up what looks like a little charm necklace or charm bracelet whatever you want to call it uh that obviously must have some meaning to him and uh we see a letter on the wall from the white house i couldn't see what president it was from it was it was blurry. They intentionally did not let us see. Okay, uh, but it was addressed to one David Rossi. So uh, there is our new, well, old bow person's name, uh, Mr. David Rossi. Uh, the next thing we know, we cut to him in Strauss's office. She seems incredulous that he wants <laughs> to come back. She is like. You're basically, she says, you know, you're really a celebrated author. You speak at engagements and stuff like this is not your gig. Why would you even possibly want to come back to this? You know, you'd be in a subordinate position here. You'd be under Hotch, basically, she is telling him. And uh, he insists that he's just there to help. And she's clearly not the one who's going to be making this decision. He is. So he has a tone in his voice also as he talks to her that makes me think maybe they don't get along or at least he doesn't get along with her. Well, he's certainly, uh, he certainly the power uh, balance there is not like what we see. Now. Everyone's like, oh, my God, Strauss. Oh, my God, Strauss. Oh, my God, Strauss. He's like, listen, Erin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I And I think it was at that tone in his voice that I thought, oh, I'm, perhaps I'm going to like David Russell. <laughs> So uh, next we cut out to Carrollton, Texas, where we see a woman getting out of a car in a suburban neighborhood. She uh, heads up her walkway on and heads to her door, and she notices a, a flyer taped to her window, which has a big old picture of her on it. And it says, have you seen me? Uh, we cut to the police station. Uh, Par- we don't cut to the police station. We travel by Photoshop, as I'm calling it. Yeah, that's Zo- true. Good zoom point. into the flyer, pull out of the flyer. It's not travel by Kodak. No, no, travel by Photoshop this week. Uh, technology is improving. Uh, maybe, so to speak. It depends on how you look at it. Uh, we do go to the police station, and she's there. She knows the detective. I know this guy's face. Uh, I didn't look up his name, but he is another well-known character actor, I would say. Yeah, he's been a buttload of things. Uh, I want to say Michael O'Neill. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if there's a show, he's been on it. I think most notably on the West Wing and Bates Motel, but like, yeah, he, he plays cop, Secret Service, 
you know, authority figure, like nobody's business. And he's also Southern guy, like might be a redneck if type of guy guy as well. Uh, I've seen, I feel like I've seen him in parts like that, or maybe it's just my own prejudices. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, that's not the point. The point is he is the local detective uh, this week, and he's telling uh, this woman that he hates Halloween, and he thinks that perhaps this is just a prank. After all, she isn't missing, right? And uh, she asks, well, how did they get her picture? And he suggests maybe it was one of her friends, but she says she doesn't think any of her friends would think this was funny. In fact, Molly was the one who told her to come and report this. And uh, apparently that's his wife. He makes a crack about his wife. And then he tells her, look, she has nothing to worry about. If it makes her feel better, he'll come by this afternoon after work to check up on her and make sure she's safe. Yeah. And, you know, I, I got to say, just, you know, I've, I've met Michelle for like two minutes here. And I know that, yeah, no, no, you're none of your friends would find it funny because you're the type of people who just like, Oh my gosh, how could you possibly put a picture of me on my own door? The outrage! This is not amusing in the least! Come on. <laughs> Remove the stick, please. <laughs> so she does thank him and she leaves. And then uh, we next cut to his car pulling up to her house. Uh, it's early evening. He's on the phone with Molly saying, you know, he's sure that she's fine. Uh, the lights are all off. She's probably just already gone to bed, but he will have Michelle call her. Then when he gets to the door, he sees that there's a, another flyer on the window. This one he doesn't find funny either. And he's uh, uh, starting to worry a bit now. And he notices the door is open. So now he's at the point where he's drawn his weapon. He heads into the place. He's calling out for Michelle. She doesn't answer. He checks the kitchen. The water is running. There's a plate of food there. He heads over to the dining room. He does flip on a light switch. And he says, oh, my God, as we see the entire room, including the, the table, is covered with those flyers. And in the middle of the table, there's a mask. Uh, I put like one of those anonymous masks. And written in red across the top of it is one word, or should I say the word one. Yeah, it's almost like a Jabberwocky's mask from the <laughs> dance troupe that kind of <laughs> yes. uh, removes all your facial features. I did find it funny that uh, as as he's on the phone with Molly, he's what's great about the show is when even the bit characters you can get their personalities so quickly. He's like, I didn't say I thought it was funny. I just thought that someone might have done it, thinking it was funny. <laughs> right. You just know all about this guy and the world that he's stuck in. <laughs> and a little bit about Molly, too. <laughs> Indeed. And so we go to credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's new Criminal Minds starring Joe Mantegna. What, talk about, talk about like hitting the ground running. Starring Joe Mantegna. <laughs> yeah. We know who he is as soon as it is. It comes up. So we come back to see our now familiar campus in Quantico and Hotch voices over our opening quote from Erasmus. What else is the whole life of mortals but a sort of comedy in which the various actors disguised by various costumes and masks walk on and each one plays his part until the manager waves them off the stage and I'm thinking they should have gone with the Shakespeare quote that's almost the exact same, but 
slightly shorter. <laughs> All the world's a stage. Anywho, speaking of masks, we see Reed, who has snuck up on Morgan. He's wearing a Frankenstein mask. And, uh, you know, he does a little joke and pulls, you know, a, a fake severed head out of a bag. And, and Morgan is just like, that's why I hate Halloween. That's why I hate Halloween. Everyone all in their mask, it just creeps them out. And Reed is like, you're scared of Halloween. And Morgan points out that creeped out and scared are two different things. <laughs> this is a great, great, another example of the, the character moments. I, I find it funny that Reed wears a Frankenstein mask. And I know he does it intentionally just so that he can then point out, you know, actually, Frankenstein was the doctor and not the monster. I'm a doctor, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Reed also loves Halloween, he says, because because of putting on masks, you can put on a mask and be anyone you want to be. And Prentice, who is there, finds neither revelation from these guys surprising. But she is in turn creeped out when Morgan talks about uh, getting to be with one of his Halloween honeys. (laughs) (laughs) And it's into this scene that David Rossi walks and everybody kind of snaps to and they look at him in awe as he goes over to Hotch's office with Strauss and Strauss starts to introduce them, but they immediately smile and hug, glad to see one another. And clearly Strauss is like a third wheel here at this point. So she pieces out. Yeah. That's the two things I noticed in this. The first one, Rossi walks by, he kind of looks over at all of them and he actually smiles at Reed because he's, he's amused by the fact that Reed is trying to impress him while wearing a noose around his neck and a stupid orange tie. <laughs> Uh, it's like okay, this is the, these are the uh, yokels I got to deal with, and I also love the fact that Strauss knocks on the door and walks right in and starts talking. Like, sh- yeah, the knock really—it's just a formality. I'm coming in whether you say come in or not. Yeah, and then she's like, "Oh, uh, Aaron Hotchner, I'd like to introduce you." To- <laughs> they know each other. Crap, I'll get yeah. out of here. <laughs> it totally yeah. killed her buzz. <laughs> and uh, so Hotch and Rossi reminisce for a bit, and Rossi is noting that Hotch has. Moved on up. He's got his big old office and uh, things have changed since they last worked together. JJ comes in. She's honored to meet Rossi. After uh, Hotch introduces them, Rossi asks her what her function is. And she explains that she's the communications coordinator. She's the liaison. She deals with everybody, et cetera, et cetera. Um, She's really glad that he's there and she's off to go gather the team. And Rossi is looking at her as she leaves and says, well, we didn't have that 10 years ago. And Hotch senses perhaps he's about to have an HR problem. And he's like, <laughs> what? And Rossi says, a communications coordinator. I couldn't tell if that's what he was originally meaning, but I, I thought he played it off real well if that wasn't his <laughs> yeah, <laughs> intention. I, 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 like I said, he Joe Montagna is completely inscrutable. In these first few years, especially because he's, he doesn't really know the character yet either, exactly how he's playing him. And I think he's trying stuff out as an actor. And I think that totally comes off like, yeah, communications coordinator. What, what did you think? Of <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think he's intentionally trying to like play this mysterious man. You don't know much about him. And it works so well. <laughs> so Hodge brings him out to the bullpen and introduces him to the rest of the team. And they're all super excited to meet him. And of course, no one is more excited than Reed, who goes on a tad too far in his exuberance and wants to talk to him about his work on the Scarsdale Skinner. And Hotch basically has to calm him down. 
let him know he can catch up with Rossi a bit later. Reed apologizes, and Rossi probably makes his day by saying, no problem, doctor. <laughs> I feel like him just acknowledging him as doctor right off. Uh, he, he either uh, is just naturally like that, or or maybe he just got the memo. <laughs> you know, that was the whole yes. thing. Like, you know, they made such a big deal about that Gideon always made sure to say Dr. Reed and it was because he wanted him to be perceived a certain way by, by the people. And Rossi didn't even doctor. <laughs> so like it's, it's a really nice way of, of showing that perhaps these two will develop a relationship similar to what Gideon had. Certainly that's what Reed is looking for. I, I also uh, love, love the fact that by the time the scene is over, Morgan's just looking at him, watching this whole thing. He's going to slap him on the back of the head, like dummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they have maybe my favorite relationship. It's the the sibling relationship that they seem to have uh, that is really great. And uh, Hotch seems to make a point of saying, and I think maybe he did this on purpose, you know, to show uh, Rossi how much things have changed. He's like, oh, maybe you guys could catch up on the jet. And uh, Rossi's like, jet, damn. <laughs> and, yes, uh, yes, we have a Hotch jet. Is like, yeah. <laughs> We have a jet. At least we have stock footage so, of the jet. <laughs> right. So then they uh, head into the conference room for JJ's briefing. So JJ catches them all up on the case, tells them about the case in Carrollton, which is a Dallas suburb, about how one Michelle Colucci found the flyer on her window. She brought it to the local detective, Frank Yarborough. He told her it was probably a prank. And then when he checked up on her and found all of the new flyers, he hoped maybe it was still some kind of joke. But yesterday, they found her body in a small creek. She had been sexually assaulted, and her face was removed. Because it's all about that face, about that face. Much trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, as JJ is showing this picture, this is when Garcia walks in pink highlights streaking in her hair. And uh, she makes a big dramatic show about making JJ take the picture off the screen. She can't take it. Hotch uh, introduces Rossi to their technical analyst and Garcia hands over the file she's made on Carrollton. And she shakes Rossi's hand and says she's happy to meet him. And she leaves. And Rossi notes that she is different. And Hotch says, you have no idea. Also, there's a nice cutaway shot to Morgan as Garcia is is interacting and leaves and Morgan looks so embarrassed for her. <laughs> Morgan is just looking at all these people around like, why is everybody acting like idiots today? <laughs> it's just some dude. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Prentice points out that this guy sounds like a textbook sadist, AJ. And Reed points out that the mask is known as the false face. It's one that's usually used on Halloween and on Mardi Gras. And Morgan says, see, creepy. I rest my case. And Hotch says that they want to stop this guy at one. So they're going to head off to Carrollton. He also tells Rossi that he can sit this one out if he wants and wait till he gets settled in. But Rossi is like, hey, I'm here to work. So Hotch says, okay. And they're off to Texas. Hey, did you see those opening credits? You think I'm sitting this one out? Come on, man. <laughs> We cut to Detective Yarborough, who is on the phone with JJ, and he remarks his disgust 
at a news report that's on the TV saying that the police are calling the case the Have You Seen Me Murders. Okay, uh, two things. One, that is a dumbass name. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Two, murders? Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Seriously, guys? Jo- I, I know if it bleeds, it leads, but like, no. No, not on one. You wouldn't come up with a name. Just strange situation here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, he, he lets JJ know, you know, to call him when they get in on the next day. And meanwhile, we cut to another Dallas neighborhood where a woman is walking her dog, remarking at all the Halloween antics that are going on. I think it's Halloween. I, I get a little confused about the it, date and the timing around he here. Said, he said to uh, Michelle when he was talking to her that Halloween was a week away, but the kids start early around here. So it's a cheat to get the fact that people are going to be doing Halloween type things this entire episode, even though it's not Halloween. Right. So all of a sudden, uh, this this lady walking her dog notices a flyer with her face on it. And she says, oh, my God, clearly she's been watching the news and knows what's been happening. Uh, she picks up her dog and starts running past a fence. And those flyers are pat- plastered all along the side of the fence. And part of me uh, is like, OK, why don't I run to the, part, to the part of town that doesn't have my flyers all over it? Why am I chasing down? Like, it's like, oh, look, these breadcrumbs are leading somewhere. Let me follow these breadcrumbs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just a little silly. Just a little it is, silly. It is. Agreed. So next we cut to the uh, BAU jet and we focus in on Rossi, who is reading the case file, but he's also fiddling with that, that charm bracelet from before. And we flash back onto some violent crime scene. We see that there's... Two little girls and one little boy, they're huddled together in a corner and you hear a woman screaming and and there's blood splattering on the wall. See the little girl looking frightened and we see the names on the charm, which I had to freeze the frame to see the names because it did flash by quickly. Um, they're Connie, Alicia and Georgie. And I'm thinking maybe this is the case that caused Rossi to retire. That's my thinking. I don't know. That's how I felt yeah, like so a valid, this meant something to him. It certainly means something to, to him. It is a valid uh, valid conclusion. We shall see. So Hotch looks at him and says, uh, let's go over the victimology. And would you like to join us, Dave? And he doesn't say anything at all. He just walks over and sits next to the group. And he pulls out a little notebook. And he starts taking notes as they go over the case. And uh, they talk about Michelle Colucci, single, no romantic partners. She's an architect. She's a workaholic, yada, yada, yada. Reed says it's possible that she was being stalked. And all of a sudden, Rossi is like, interesting. And they all look at him, like clearly expecting more to come. And then he, he looks up and he's just like, oh, sorry, I was just thinking out loud. Even when Hotch asks him, he he doesn't have anything to add to the conversation at all. So then they continue. They discuss if it seems like it was a a rage case or not, because Reed says that the mask was blank and expressionless, which doesn't really coincide with rage. But, you know, Morgan is looking at the crime pictures and with the faces cut off and says this seems pretty rage filled to him. 
At that moment, Garcia chimes in on the computer to let them know that she has a list of Colucci's clients. She didn't seem to have any private clients that she would do one-on-one meetings with. And uh, that's all she has at the moment. So not much. We did. <laughs> I, yeah. I will say I, I, what, I, what I really enjoyed about this is that they said that she was an architect um, because when Michelle had gone back to her house, she was carrying all those long tubes with plans of houses in it. And so they had already kind of told us she was an architect. But it, it just it's one of those little things where it's like, oh, is she an architect? Does she work for an architect? Is, is she an interior designer? Like, what, what does she do for a living with these plans? Like, yeah, she's an architect. I, I, I just like the confirmation without – that being like a big reveal, but I did like the confirmation. And every time I see those tubes, those little blueprint tubes, I think of the Bradys losing them in the amusement park. <laughs> Only because, once again, we old. That's right. Wait, it's a picture of Huckleberry Hound and Snagglepuss. <laughs> It's the banana yes. split. Yeah, da, 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 da. <laughs> so, yes. Look it up, kids. <laughs> yeah. We next cut to the team arriving at the police station where Yarborough has, is greeting them, but he immediately informs them that they have a new flyer, a new case, and it's one Enid White and her roommate called Dallas police this morning. She never came home from walking her dog, and the unsub has wallpapered the area two blocks around her house with the flyers. So far, no witnesses, but the police are canvassing the area, and Hotch decides to split the team up. He's going to have Morgan and Prentice go to check out Michelle Colucci's house. Meanwhile, him and JJ are going to go talk to Enid's roommate, and he asks Rossi to uh, go with Reed and the detective to walk the disposal site. He asks Rossi, would he mind? He doesn't, you know, order him like he's ordering the rest. And an interesting dynamic yeah, is being set up. Yeah, there's some there. And also, he's not really part of the team yet. <laughs> I mean, he is, but he isn't. <laughs> so next, we go to Morgan and Prentice, and they're looking at Colucci's neighborhood. It's a very open area, and it would be really hard for someone to go into her house and take her out of it without being spotted by one of the neighbors. It doesn't seem to make much sense to them. If he were stalking the place from outside, he definitely would have been noticed. And so Morgan says he'll, he didn't watch her from here. Then we cut over to Hotch and JJ walking uh, with another local detective in Enid's neighborhood. And that detective remarks on all the media leeches that are hanging around. This is the biggest story that they've had in a while. He doesn't know anything about the mask that was found at Michelle Colucci's house. And Hot says, OK, that's good. So nobody knows about that. So he tells JJ to not let the media get any word about that. They don't want to let out that piece of information. They uh, ask to interview the roommate and the detective says, OK, they have her at the station. And all of a sudden, Hotch starts to wonder about the dog. If she was walking her dog, where the heck is the dog? It's a good it's a good uh, thought. Certainly it uh, doesn't is one of those cases where that doesn't really pan out to be anything. But I do like the fact that it's like, yeah, that's something to think about. Yeah. Where you at, dog? <laughs> now, we, uh, you're the man now, dog. <laughs> oh, gosh. So next we see Rossi. See, because the dog's name is Forrester. And they, never mind. 
Still probably a reference. Well, no, I think our listeners would probably get that one. It still might be a little old. I don't know. <laughs> and, that, and that's when James Madison said, Dolly. <laughs> <laughs> so now we see Rossi, Reed, and Yarborough, and they're at the creek where Michelle was found. The detective is saying that they already collected all the evidence. And Rossi says, yeah, he just wants to stand where Michelle was. He asks Reed if they still have the files in the fourth floor storeroom. And Reed is like, I think some are there. But now at this point, we have most everything on the computer. And then Reed starts getting excited and says, you know, the original team, well, you uh, interviewed, (laughs) what, 45 serial killers? And Rossi's like, yeah, something like that. And Reed says, well, you know, now we've we've interviewed over a thousand offenders and he'd be so happy to go over the data with him. And Rossi just kind of brushes him off saying, oh, sounds good in a way that didn't necessarily sound good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually not listening to you right now, Dr. Reed. I'm actually working. <laughs> yeah. They reach the spot where Michelle's body was found. And the detective says, you know, he really thought it was just a prank. And Reed is like, well, you can't blame yourself for that. And Yarborough says, well, you know what? She made herself dinner. She had time in the house before the unsub came. There was time to help her. And meanwhile, Rossi's looking at the water where she was found. And he says, you know, water obliterates the body and destroys evidence. But you weren't down there that long, were you, Michelle? And Yarborough said she had rocks to tie her down, but somehow she floated to the surface before the water could do anything to her. And Reed points out that this was the first thing that the unsub did that was he wasn't good at. He made a mistake here. But Rossi points out that the Green River killer didn't weigh down his victims. And Reed says, yeah, he didn't care if they were found because he had no connection to them. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And I, I, like, I like the fact that, again, we're seeing Rossi work a case. First time we're getting to see that. And it's very similar to Gideon, how Gideon would work a case. It's the staring. It's the looking. It's the talking. And what were you doing? Why were you there? Especially how he taught Morgan to, you know, visualize the scene, walk the scene. So the fact that, you know, Rossi probably worked with Gideon back at the start, that like they would, of course, have the same way of doing things, which, of course, Jason learned how to switch to the more modern approach and bring people in, but it doesn't look like Rossi wants any help. <laughs> no. So we next cut to a quick scene of Morgan and Prentice. They found a spot outside of Michelle's house where the unsub hid uh, and was able to watch everything that she did. Then we cut back to the police station where the team is reconvening. Hotch asks if they've got anything and Reed says that Rossi pointed out the fact that the victim was weighed down, which suggests that he may have had some connection to the victim. They found out that Michelle was found on the fourth day uh, after she was taken, and she wasn't in the water that long. So that suggests that he probably held her captive for the prior three days. Garcia calls in to report that Enid White's credit card was actually used that morning at a sporting goods store. The purchase was a shotgun, and we cut to a news story playing about Enid White being missing And we see the shotgun, and then we pan up and see it's Enid there. So apparently she wasn't going to fool around and 
basically she's ready to bust a cap in that unsub ass. <laughs> yeah, she's the one. It's what it looks. She's like. the one holding the shotgun. It's not like being pointed at her through some sort of saw-like trap or anything like that. No, she's holding the shotgun, looking at the door, going, "Not gonna get me! Not gonna get me!" Yeah. We cut back to Hotch, and he's foolishly wondering if she could have bought a gun that easily. And Yarborough's like, "Dude, Texas." And even Rossi knows uh, there's no waiting period or license required for rifles and shotguns in the Lone Star State. And I would think that Hotch would know that, too. He would. But I, I just, you know, it's it's for the audience. I'll, I'll give him that one. And so Hotch figures that there's video surveillance on gun sales in sporting goods stores and tells JJ to call the store, find out if it was Enid or the unsub who made the purchase. But right at that moment, they have an urgent phone call, and it turns out that it is Enid White. She saw the news reports, and she knows that they didn't believe the other woman about the flyers. She's gone out and got a gun, but she's having trouble staying awake. She can't stay awake anymore. And they get on the phone. Hotch gets on the phone. They let Enid know they believe her. Calm down. Don't worry. We're going to come get you. Where are you? She says she's at the El Royale Motel in Dallas, room number six. And she says, hurry, he's going to kill me. So we cut to the police arriving at the motel. They run into the room. But sadly, the only thing there is a bunch of Enid flyers and another mask with the word two written on it as we cut to a break. I mean, on the plus side, unless the unsub is a liar... We know we haven't missed any victims <laughs> and that this is his second victim. It's, you know, it, it, usually it's like it, the big reveal is like, this wasn't his first. <laughs> you know, He's been doing this longer right. than we thought. Like, no, no, it was his number two. <laughs> and now they can officially it's the say it's the have you seen me murder. Well, no, no, it's not a murder yet. <laughs> She's It's, it, it's the have you seen me kidnapper. <laughs> yes. That's even worse. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why, why not just call it? The, the, why not call him the Phantom Flyer? Call call him the the Halloween Havoc? You know, there's, there's so many different things you could theme this off of. But again, once does not give you a name. Exactly. So we come back from break. Yarborough is upset. He's like, we got there in 20 minutes and somehow he got to her and now they have nothing. The team points out he may be keeping her for three days like he did Michelle. And Hotch also points out that the crime scenes are different. The flyers here were just on the bed and not posted up. So it's like he knew that he had very little time. And they find her cell phone with the Carrollton police hotline phone number on it. So they figure out that he had a cell phone interceptor that you can get cheap at any electronics store. <laughs> and I'm with Yarborough here, who's like, you can? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you can, just like you can get the, the devices to shut them off, AJ. This is the second time uh, in three weeks we have done the Radio Shack assist for the unsubs, <laughs> and cops have no idea that Radio Shack exists <laughs> or what is sold there. <laughs> Radio Shack for your younger kids is an electronic store that used to exist. (laughs) (laughs) Electronic store that most people just went to for batteries and had to fill out the the, the little form. Well, there's a waiting period for batteries in some states. (laughs) (laughs) 
So anyway, the unsub must have followed her there. And Yarborough doesn't get why why he would have waited until she called them before he took action. And Prentice says, well, he probably did that so that he'd know that we found the mask. And Hotch says to him, gather your men. It's profile time. Do, 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 do. And this is going to be the best profile ever. So specific. <laughs> well, AJ, let's get into that specificity. Specificity. Uh, Take me down to the specificity where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. <laughs> we cut to the profile scene and it starts off with Morgan basically saying they have a white guy of average height and weight. <laughs> Thank you. The end. <laughs> yes. Go get him, boys. So <laughs> even the camera is is bored and doesn't want to <laughs> stick around for the rest of this profile. So we cut to Rossi, who's walked away himself from the profile, and he's called Garcia, and he seems confused when she answers the phone in her typical Garcia fashion, and it takes her a moment or two to figure out who she's talking to, and finally she yeah. apologizes to isn't, him. Isn't this the technical analyst girl? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's still a better first call than, than Gideon and, and Garcia had. <laughs> yeah. Or the call Strauss had with yeah, Garcia. Yeah, I mean, first-time calls, are like because Gideon was just like, uh, Gonzalez Ramirez, what, what was your name? <laughs> yeah. And, and Strauss is just like, <clears throat> I most certainly do not want to talk dirty to you. <laughs> yes. So... In any case, Garcia apologizes and asks what's going on. And Rossi asks her if she can find information on a 20-year-old case. And of course she can. Uh, He doesn't understand her clickety-clack powers yet. But uh, he tells her the name on the case, Diana and Richard Galen. They had three children. And Garcia's like, okay, I'll get that information right to you. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just Put it in a file. I want to look at it when I get back. And oh, by the way, let's just keep this between us, shall we? And Garcia is like, um, sure. No problem. It's a little shady. <laughs> it's a little mysterious. And, you know, it's, I, I do like the way he even says it. He's like, let's uh, keep this on the down low oh, for now. <laughs> right. Like, no, no, it's, it's not like keeping a secret forever. Just, 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 just uh, uh, for now. <laughs> nothing shady going on here. Nothing to concern yourself with. I know you don't know me from Adam. Uh, uh, for now. <laughs> so we come back to the profile, which is still going on somehow. And uh, they're saying that the unsub shows a certain maturity. They think he's perhaps between 30 and 40 years of age. He must be tech savvy since the flyers were made and printed on a computer. (laughs) (laughs) And plus, he's able to intercept that cell phone call. However, there's nothing remarkable about him. He's exceedingly average. He probably doesn't stand out at work. And actually, that's part of the psychopathy that they're looking at. The fact that he is so unremarkable. This guy wants to be noticed. The have you seen me that's written on the flyers isn't about the women. 
It's about him. He's uh, removed their faces, which seems to indicate that he's trying to transfer his feelings of being ignored into a mission statement. And so Yarborough is like, okay, how do we catch this invisible man? And Hotch says, well, you know what? We'll get him to contact you. The crime scenes show that he wants to get his message out to the police. He hasn't gone public yet. And by playing on his anger, dot, 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 because as he's saying that, he's noticing that there's a news report on the TV and it's showing the mask or the type of mask. Yeah, it's not not an actual picture of the mask, but yes, it's a... The mask, but the type of mask. And Hotch is like, "Uh, JJ, how did they get that? Didn't I tell you? And JJ's like, hey, don't come to me like that. I I told everybody that they weren't supposed to let that information out. Hello, JJ. JJ here. Hello. I did not blab about Mars, okay? (laughs) Yes. And uh, Rossi speaks up at this point. He's like, it was me. I told him that the FBI thinks that the masks mean that the unsub is impotent. (laughs) (laughs) And Hodge is like, oh, no, no, no. He needs to nip this in the bud right away. He's like, okay, Rossi, let's go talk. He's going to take him aside and talk to him because Hotch can't be having that rogue rogue agent stuff going on. And the thing is, is that Rossi moves on the same page as the team because Hotch just said, well, we'll get him to contact you. And Rossi is like, well, I did this to get him to contact you us so he he's not wrong that's probably what they were going to do they just hadn't done done it yet and as hotch points out in the scene when he's talking to him about it like we need time we got to set up the the phone tap we got to prepare the officers for what to say and rossi's like you know he's not going to stay on the phone long enough for a trace and they're not going to want to talk to the local detective they're going to want to talk to the fbi and Hotch is explaining how they don't step over the locals because that gets them upset, and then the, they'll never call back. They don't. They won't use. They won't use the BAU. And he's he's Hotch is kind of mad at him. And Rossi doesn't see the problem at all, and he just tells Hotch, you know, relax, I've got this. And Hotch is like, that's the problem. There is no I in team. <laughs> He almost literally says that. He doesn't say it exactly. Yeah. But. No, that's what he's like, dude, like, look, I get it. You, you've been doing this since the dawn of time, but things have changed. No, unsubs are still unsubs. But the things have changed. Yeah, unsubs are still unsubs. Okay, but things have changed. <laughs> yes. And Hotch is about to tell him some more, but JJ knocks on the door to tell, tell him that uh, Garcia found something. So we cut back to the conference room and Garcia is saying she found a tech company and uh, Michelle Colucci did the plans for a remodel for them. And guess who happened to work at that company? Enid White. She worked there until two months ago. Yarborough comes in to say that the unsub is actually called. So it, it worked, Rossi. <laughs> uh, no, no one was disputing that this was going to work. Yeah. This was going to be the plan. It was just like, don't. Don't go over there and freelance and then come back and say, no, I took care of it. Like, who asked you to? Yeah. And he's also right. He doesn't want to talk to the cops. He wants to talk to the FBI. And, of course, Rossi and Hotch give each other a little look at that point. And uh, Rossi goes to the phone and puts the call on the speaker. And the unsub is furious. Says, you called me impotent. And Rossi's like, did I? 
<laughs> and, uh, Did I do that? <laughs> yes. Steve Urkel, BAU officer. <laughs> and the unsub is mad and he's like, I'm not impotent. And Rossi is like, well, why are you whispering? Is someone around you? Are you at work? And the unsub is like, you lied. You have to tell them you lied. And Rossi says, you know what? I'll get you on the news and you can tell them yourself. And the unsub is like, no, 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 no. You need to correct it. Rossi says, you watched her long enough to know that she was a loner and didn't have any visitors. But you knew that Detective Yarbrough was coming over. You must have been right in the station when he said that. And I'm looking at the police security tapes from that day. Now your face has got to be on one of those tapes. And when I find it, I'm going to plaster it all over the city, just like you did to those women. Everyone's going to see it. They won't be able to ignore you now. But guess what? You're not going to inspire fear. You're going to inspire hatred and ridicule. Because the only power someone like you has is that mask. And when the mask is removed, you'll be as insignificant as you ever have. You're a loser. And I'm thinking, well, he does have some similarities to Gideon. <laughs> this seems- uh, you know, go go yeah. right back to that kidnapping episode. Oh, really? Click. <laughs> Don't you hang up on me, click. <laughs> I swear they're dead. They're dead, click. <laughs> the unsub says, you've just signed Enid White's death warrant. This time we have seen the, the unsub. He's sitting in a cubicle somewhere and he's nervously fidgeting with a rubber band. So he... Appears probably that he is at that tech office that they were talking about before, uh, if if what they were showing us was actually the tech office from before. Yeah, but. absolutely. You never know. Sometimes they use stand-ins because they certainly, uh, when the profile was being delivered, they used some stand-ins for some random office people. So, you know, it's not always the case, but yes, this certainly is the case. I also did go back uh, and check to see if the unsub was... Uh, at at the police station when uh, back at the beginning she was showing him the flyer and you can't see who but knowing who the unsub is in between them talking to cops is a blurry figure that was probably the actor it was you never would have picked it up but I did go back and check and yes he is actually there in the in in the scene so they had that cover I like how they do that or they had a stand in and they blurried it so that but it certainly looked like it, it was probably the our guy so uh, we next cut to the BAU SUV and several police cars heading out to the tech company. Hotch is radioing into them to lock the building down. Nobody in or out. And uh, Morgan sitting in the front seat and he looks back at Rossi, who's sitting in the back seat. And he asks if he really thinks the unsub is still going to be there. And Rossi says, of course he is. Uh, he thinks he's got all the time in the world. And Hotch asks if they think uh, they're going to get an image from that police security camera. And Rossi says, well, no, because he lied about that. (laughs) Uh, There was no such uh, camera or tape. And uh, the unsub doesn't know that, though. So good for him. And Hodge says, you know what? That's a reckless move. And Rossi starts to bring up the fact that this guy weighed down Michelle's body. That was a mistake. And when he's hurried, this guy makes mistakes. Um, he screwed up. He didn't want her found so quickly. He needs to be in control. That's when he feels like he, he's, in, he's in handle. He's got things handled and they need to throw him off his game. His hand needs to be forced. Hot says, well, that's the problem to do that. You forced our hand. 
Yeah, I mean, what we see here is that Rossi's a great profiler. <laughs> he is 100% right. He took the one little clue there, one little clue there, one little hunch there. And he's he's got the guy. <laughs> the guy did everything he thought. It's just that's not necessarily going to be the best way to get the team through this uh, episode, this case in one piece. That's the problem. That's the problem. I don't know how we're going to teach him that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so next, AJ, we cut to the team arriving at the building uh, where the tech company is. Hotch confirms that the building is locked down tight, and he tells uh, Yarborough to make sure that it stays that way. Garcia is on the phone with him, and she lets him know that the floors Michelle worked on were seven through nine. So Hodgson's Morgan, Prentice, and Reed each to take one of those floors. And they're going to be looking for a rank-and-file employee who either made a scene or was here and is now gone in the last 20 minutes. Uh, he does tell the team not to approach him if they find him. Just see if you can get his name or a picture. So they take off to go do that. And Rossi says, actually, he thinks the unsub is there with them in the lobby. And there's several people milling about in the lobby because of, you know, the being the building being on lockdown. Yeah. People are gathering to see what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, uh, Rossi, again, it, it's it's all gut. It's all gut. He has no, nothing. To, we don't know what he looks like. We, we. It's not like he saw somebody. He's just like, I just feel it. Can't you feel it? Like, ah, it's a dangerous way to, to operate. <laughs> yes. But anyway, they do decide, and I thought this was a good move, to pull out their badges because the unsub believes that they have a picture of what he looks like, that they know what he looks like. So they pull out their badges to you know show that they're the FBI, and they also pull out one of his own flyers, but they're looking at it so that it looks like they're looking at a picture of the unsub and looking around the room to see if he's there. Hey, if you're going to bluff, sell the bluff. <laughs> yeah. So they start doing that. And meanwhile, we get a little quick montage of Morgan and Prentice and Reed looking on the other floors. And then all of a sudden we see Reed being led by a frazzled looking manager to a cubicle. <laughs> this this is making the most of your five seconds on air. They told this guy, what we need you to do is Point Reed towards the desk, and he points towards that desk. That one over there. Thank you, sir. You're, you're, you're done. <laughs> you can go home and, it's, and it's in montage, too, so he doesn't even really get to, you know. Yeah, it, but it's, it's, just, it's, such, it's such point acting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we cut back down to... Uh, Rossi and Hotch, and they're doing their act, looking at the paper, looking at the crowd. They do notice one man who appears to be trying to avoid their con their eye contact and who starts to walk off back toward the elevator bay. And meanwhile, Reed is looking at the computer and this guy <laughs> has like pops up. It's almost looks like it's maybe the. The wallpaper, yeah. the screensaver. Uh, uh, it's the Enid, uh, Enid post missing poster. Uh, and I'm like, uh, it didn't seem like he was really trying. I guess he wasn't worried about other people coming in his cubicle looking over his shoulder. But whatever, because Reed found that instantly. Yes. And so uh, he calls down to let Hotch know. 
And meanwhile, Rossi is yelling towards the other guy that was slinking away to stop. Hotch thanks Reed and then calls out, Max Poole, we have your address, Max. There's no place to go. I just got to say, that's such a waste of a good unsub name on this guy. Like, we're hunting Max Poole. This loser, he's so ordinary, they should have given him John Smith. Yeah, I agree. Max Poole is too cool. Poor school. So Agent Rossi uh, says, hey, I'm Agent Rossi, Max. If you do what I'm thinking you're going to do, you then you won't get to tell them that I lied. Come on, Max, just put your hands on top of your head. And Hotch tells Max to listen to him. And we see that Max is reaching for a gun in his pants. Rossi pleads with him not to do it. Meanwhile, (laughs) in an unlucky coincidence for him, Morgan happens to be getting off the elevator back (laughs) right at this point. And of course, it's right in front of Max. Like he's right, right, right in between the, the standoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Hotch yells at him to get down. We go into slow motion mode. Shots are fired. Rossi's shot hits Max. We rush over to Morgan, who has done some kind of miraculous flip because he is Morgan after all. And uh, he is fine. He's okay. Max is not fine. However, he's dead. He yep. is dead. Yes. Uh, two things on this. One, uh, again, this is the even though we've 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 shown that uh, Rossi kind of acts and, and profiles the same way that Gideon did. This confrontation is exactly the opposite of Gideon, who would have gone, "No, you're impotent. You know you're impotent. You're totally." <laughs> that Gideon's approach is to attack, and he's just like, "No, you can explain your story. Maybe I'm wrong." So uh, their, their tactics in this instance were completely opposite, and I also like the fact that. You can see it on Rossi's face, even as he's killed uh, Max with two nice, clean shots. Bang, bang, dead, drop. Very, very competent with the gun. You can see he has never had to take into account the fact that he has team members before. So, again, just the putting Morgan directly in this line of fire because Morgan didn't know what was going on because he didn't mention what he was going to do. (laughs) He didn't let anybody Mm -hmm. know. I think you can see that sink in just with Joe Montaigne's eyes in this, like going, oh, crap, I've been wrong. <laughs> like It's amazing how they could do that so quickly with just a little stupid slow-mo. Usually the slow-mo stuff doesn't work, but I think it really did work here in, in getting Rossi to really see what was going on here. Yeah, good point. So Yarbrough is like, uh, guys, what about Enid White? <laughs> and Hot says, well, they have Poole's home address. They have to hope she is there. So we cut to AJ. I think this is one of the strangest montages. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. That I have seen so far on Criminal Minds. Uh, not because of the first shot. The first shot, beautiful, love it. We see Enid White being uh, brought out on a stretcher to the paramedics. Daughtry, the I'm going home song is playing. That's fine. I'm fine with that. And she looks like she's going to be okay. So good for her. And, and, then, and just, I, I do want to point out that they, they did find the dog in the hotel room. So we did answer the question of where the dog was. So previously right. we had found the dog. So I just, that right. was not left hanging. Right. All, all that was, was settled. But now for some strange reason, 
it's <laughs> it's still Halloween, I guess. And several children in costume have run up to the the police, the side of the police crime tape, the, the crime scene. Yep. And Reed is handing out candy. <laughs> yep. Morgan and Prentice are smiling and and almost like playing with the kids. I'm like, yep. what is going on here? <laughs> Have we lost our sense of time and place? What is what? Why is this a part of the scene? Um, yeah, this this is the part of Criminal Minds. This is the side that just you just have to wonder. What are they thinking at all here? Timeline wise, yes, it is Halloween. Like I said, you don't you don't need a week long Halloween episode, but that's what they did. And you know they set up. Well, the trick or treaters—they're out early. It's a week early. Oh, four days later to find the body, which means basically this would probably be day seven. So this would actually kind of be Halloween at this point. And sure, they're filming a scene. It's Halloween. Let's get some kids on set. And, <laughs> Oh, no, it's so, so bad. I, uh, where did I, yes, where did Reed get Halloween candy? <laughs> if anybody had it, I would buy that Reed has it because he's always stopping at a vending machine or whatever for little oh, treats. Yes, but still. we know. We, yes, this is Reed. We're tracking Reed and snacks. This, you're right. Uh, this is Reed and snacks. Absolutely, <laughs> three episodes running. Keep it going. Uh, I just this makes no sense. You're yeah. yeah I, boggles the mind and, and the tone of the song i'm going home as i hand out candy to the kids and hopefully they haven't been traumatized <laughs> it's so weird this montage and then we see hotch and rossi there standing there staring at each other maybe they're having one of those who blinks first contests apparently hotch Blinks first and gives in because he gives Rossi a little pat like, ha, we're we're all good, right? And then they go and get into the SUV and uh, they pull around the ambulance and, and they drive off. And we see news cameras watching them leave, sort of filling in the middle of the street. And then, of course, more costumed kids <laughs> just sort of lined up on the left side of the street. Like good for them. Uh, yeah, that was I, one hell of a montage. <laughs> and, and and the scary, scary or creepy thing about this whole thing is that that's not the end of the episode. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, like what's going on? You know, maybe take play the know. music up to the you know, you know, and now we fade to black and roll credits here. Nope, <laughs> nope. Uh, still going home, so we actually have to go home. If you're gonna play that. Chekhov's gun and all that. If you play, I'm going home. At least, at you least they actually go yes. home. And the slow motion kind of ends as they're back at the BAU and everybody walks in and Rossi is like looking at all the team, but he stays distant and walks up the stairs to the overlook area. <sighs> and finally, he enters Hotch's office. Very nice scene setting, AJ. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I'm a grizzled uh, veteran. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, Rossi's like, hey, Hotch, you said that the team shares everything and and there's no I, right? <laughs> and Hotch is, like, Hotch is like, right? Right. Where's this and going? Hotch, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, Rossi says, well, isn't it a pretty big thing to withhold 
being separated from your wife? <laughs> and Hotch is like, what now? And <laughs> Rossi points out that when they worked together, he used to call Haley like 10 times a day. And now they've been together for 48 hours straight and not once did he call her. And he's staying at the office right now, even now, instead of rushing home. And Hotch is like, that's different. That's personal. It's not a case. And Rossi is like, well, it seems like sharing is a learned skill. <laughs> I, know, I think that's, that's great profiling by Rossi. As again, it's, it's there to show how, how good a profiler he is. And he figured that out in like, you know, just a short amount of time there. Uh, was, was he married to Haley 10 years ago when Rossi was working at the department? Like, I, I mean, maybe yeah. they were high school sweethearts, so he was with her, but were they married? Like, it it makes a difference whether they were married or not at this point, only because it's like, you know, and times change, you know, relationships change, you know, maybe you don't call each other 10 times a day, you check in, but it's, yeah. a, it's a little wonky. It's a little wonky, but I will allow it because we're just trying to use it to, to show how good of a profiler uh, Rossi is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, they start talking about how there was no group thing when, group think when they started this thing out, when they when he started the BAU. And Hot says, they don't do group think. They all think as individuals, and then they share their thoughts with the team. They don't write them down in a little notebook and keep them to themselves. Damn! Which is like, ooh, point hot! <laughs> and he says, look, Dave, of all the people we put away, all the ones we helped, it's because of you and the other guys who started this unit. And you believed when nobody else would that there was a way of understanding these crimes and getting ahead of them. And I don't think you have anything to prove. So really, you don't have to come back. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a loaded loaded point, isn't it? (laughs) So if you were thinking of maybe not coming into work tomorrow or ever again, I mean, I'd be cool with that. And, and Rossi says he knows that. And Hotch says, well, then, so why? And Rossi says, maybe I have unfinished business. And then he walks out of Hotch's office and he heads over to the office next door, which is cleaned, empty, it was Gideon's former office. And he's standing in the doorway. And once again, he pulls out that little charm necklace and looks at it. And then he looks up and removes jason gideon's name from the nameplate on the door and i'm thinking they would have removed that long ago when they they cleaned up they might i get it has to be there for this dramatic moment but i i I wouldn't have kept jason gideon's name there if it was i was office manager his name would have been out of that door that's all i'm saying (laughs) yeah well keep in mind though we don't really know if they have an office manager per se but you know, the fact that Hotch gets to assign the offices leads me to believe that it, it's really it's Hotch's job. <laughs> Maybe not to clean it out, but you probably called someone and said, can you clean that out? And, you know, uh, nameplates, name they will reuse them if people come back. So probably said, leave the nameplate. I'll, you know, I'll collect it later. And he just hasn't gotten around to doing it. He likes seeing it there, you know. Yeah, and it's not a big point. I agree. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. <laughs> And so, yeah, we in the episode <laughs> looking at uh, Rossi there in the doorway. Ten signs you might be getting fired. Where'd my name play go? 
And that's the episode for this week, AJ. Yes, yes. The, the debut of David Rossi. What'd you think? Uh, I enjoyed the episode. Like I said, I, I did find it a little hard to read Rossi, and, and you made some good points about how Joe is is probably figuring the character out and started us off with a little mystery because he has a little mystery to figure out this character, who he is exactly. I like that they didn't bring in somebody new trying to run it all, you know, like sometimes that's a trope that you might see. Right. And it isn't some like new fresh faced kid who's going to have to try and learn the ropes either. It's like, it's a nice combination of, of experience, but also freshness because he's just set in his ways. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Other than the montage, I really enjoyed that episode. It's a weird ass (laughs) montage. I'm, I am totally with you there. That's a, it's a wham, a weird ass montage. (laughs) <laughs> so uh do we think the team won this episode aj uh let's check the our barometer as we do each week yeah i mean uh, bumpiness with the new team member aside uh, yeah absolutely they i mean they pretty much i mean yeah they came within a hair's breadth of getting morgan killed but <laughs> <laughs> But no, they, they, they caught the unsub. They rescued the one uh, person who had been abducted since they uh, took over the case. So, the, yeah, win. Slam dunk. Perfect. And now the other thing we like to do, folks, at the end of uh, each episode each week is to have a little quiz. I like to call it three questions. And they were inspired by the episode we just recapped. So, AJ, why don't you take it away? All right, I think I shall. Uh, as always, three questions inspired by this episode. I have a podcast called Beat My Guest. If you're into that sort of thing, you can check that out. Uh, question one. Who won the season of American Idol that Daughtry finished fourth? Who was the winner of Daughtry's season of American Idol? We heard that wonderful montage, weird-ass montage, with the music of Daughtry. Yes. I'm fourth. trying to remember. This is the time that I was I was watching American Idol. I'm trying to remember who was on that season. I don't think it was the the Fantasia Barino Jennifer Hudson season. I don't think it was the uh, Carrie. Uh, why am I thinking Carrie Witherspoon? I don't even know <laughs> who Carrie is. There a Carrie Witherspoon? Uh, I don't think it was that season anyway. I think the Daughtry season was the same season as Taylor Hicks. That is my answer. Soul Patrol. Soul Patrol. You <laughs> yes. are correct, sir. Yes, Taylor Hicks. Ah. Can you name the other two people just for fun? For fun, not part of the quiz. Name the other two people Ooh. who finished ahead of Daughtry. Ooh. Latoya London? No. No. It's, it's, it's a good, was good, a... good pull of a, an idol name. Uh... Oh. I can't remember his name. He, was, I think there was like another long-haired rocker dude. Uh, no, no, not this season. So Taylor Hicks defeated, of course, uh, 
uh, part of the banana split on The Masked Singer, Catherine McPhee. <laughs> oh, okay. And the final and the third place contestant was, of course, the instantly forgettable Elliot Yamin. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's forgettable until you said his name. But... <laughs> exactly. He's instantly forgettable. Then you remember him <laughs> yeah. and then you forget again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Indeed. Uh, All right. Excellent. Well, well done. Okay. One for one. You're doing well this season. Uh, question two. Can we talk a little bit about Max Poole? I think we can. Uh, so <laughs> the actor who played Max Poole, his name is Andrew Kavavit. And I looked at his IMD page. This was the last thing he ever did. This is Aww. his last credit. However, that got me curious. So I said, you know, what happened to him? Like, he, he seems to still be alive. You know, sometimes, you know, of course, people die. Like... Well, it turns out, uh, Andrew Kavavit, it appears like he and his wife gave birth to a daughter shortly after this uh, episode uh, aired. And so, you know, wanted to be a father, probably left the business entirely to be a full-time dad. Great job. Can't poo-poo that. So six years later, he appears on Shark Tank with his daughter, whose name was Kiowa. And they pitched a product. And the sharks loved it. And they got a deal to create this product. The product was, get ready for this, Kintada. The product was a kind of pink nail polish that could be used instead of Band-Aids to help wounds heal. So the kids, the young kids would like, you know, go dip in, dip their, and and paint the wound and it would heal the wound, seal it shut, stop it from bleeding. Uh That was the product. And so the, the sharks loved it, and mm-hmm. they went to production. Sounds cool, right? Yeah. And that was the only other time that Andrew Kavavit has appeared on television uh, <laughs> since this episode. So wow. All that is precursor to the trivia question. I'll give you multiple choice. What was the name of the product? <laughs> okay. But it's multiple choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Boo Boo Goo? <laughs> is it Ow Be Gone? Is it Pretty Pink Pain Polish? Or is it Healy Helper? <laughs> well, I certainly have my favorite of those, which is Boo Boo Goo. I mean, that sounds perfect, but I don't I don't think they would actually name it that. So I'm going to go against my desire and say that this was called Owl Be Gone. Owl Be Gone is your answer. Well, I tell you, I looked it up uh, beyond this, and apparently the website for this product no longer exists. And in fact, uh, they got so many orders from the Shark Tank appearance that they couldn't complete the orders. Uh and therefore Uh-oh. basically went bankrupt because they couldn't fulfill the orders. And a few years later uh, after that, they still had not paid back people who had paid for a product that they just couldn't supply. So this whole thing was a disaster. Well, you let your six-year-old run a company. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, Max Poole! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the delivery system was impotent, and that's no lie. <laughs> but you should have went with your gut, my friend. It was boo-boo-goo. Oh, oh okay. 
It was Bubuka. Just a fun little story. Makes about as much yeah. sense being included in this podcast as the Halloween montage. <laughs> <laughs> and final question. Favorite question each week, as you know, the preview of next week's episode of Criminal Minds. What will the plot of our next episode be? That, of course, will be Criminal Minds Season 3, Episode 7. And it, Seven? Yes. Yeah. I know. I just put a little flourish on it. Episode <laughs> okay. 7. Entitled <laughs> Identity. Mm. Identity. Is it A? JJ questions her role with the team during a case in Mississippi where she seems to be the only member of the BAU who believes their killer is one of the officers they're working with. Is it B? Reed wakes up in a strange place, handcuffed, badly bruised, and suffering from amnesia. Will his <laughs> BAU instincts allow him to figure out who he is and how to escape? Is it C? The BAU is called out to Montana, where they have to not only deal with a serial killer who appears to already be dead, but also the local militia. Or is it D? What does the BAU do when they arrest a Michigan man for murdering his family? only to have him claim that the real killer was a different personality living inside his head. Another excellent batch of show possibilities, uh, AJ. And I really want to see the Reed waking up with amnesia episode. I don't feel like I'm going to be blessed with <laughs> such luck. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also be interested to see that JJ episode. And I feel like we haven't focused on her in a while. But I don't think it's going to be that either. So therefore, I think we are going to have the the killer that was thought dead. What was the, the was that the... What was choice C? Can you read that uh, again? The BAU is called out to Montana where they have to not only deal with a serial killer who appears to already be dead, but also the local militia. Yes, and the local militia. That's the one I wanted to pick. That is the one I choose. Okay. Choice C. Choice C. So you don't think we're going to see a Michigan man murdering his family who claims that the real killer was actually a different personality living inside his head? No. I don't think so. Well, certainly not for a couple of seasons will we see that kind of a storyline. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not sure on the state, but we'll definitely see that storyline. No! I give you, Montana, serial killer, already dead, local militia. You are correct, sir. Well done. Hey! You have <laughs> identified the identity of which we will see uh, an episode that will be coming next week. And we'll see exactly how well Rossi is really integrating into this team. Spoiler alert, he'll be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait, AJ. It sounds like a blast. And I can't wait to talk to you about it next week. And uh, folks, 
guess what? That's our show for this week. Thank you so much, as usual, for joining us. And we always hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! Each corporal agent to this terrible feat, away and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide what the false heart doth know. Macbeth.